91.3 KBCS. I'm Yuko Kodama. Beth Takekawa, the executive director of the Wing Luke Museum of the Asian Pacific American Experience, is retiring after 25 years of leadership at this 54-year-old cultural pillar in Seattle's Chinatown International District. Next is an excerpt of our interview with Takekawa about the importance of a place where stories from the Asian Pacific American community are gathered and shared. I have questions for you about before you got to the Wing Luke and some of the formative kinds of things in your life that direct how you look at community and how you look at these kind of spaces. One day, you know, I came home and I saw this church newsletter on the dining table. So I was glancing at it and the priest, you know, he had written his column and he was talking about this little immigrant lady who joined our church. And I remember I was reading it and I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who that was, you know. It was so jarring to me when I read a little bit further and I realized that he was talking about my grandmother. That was one of the first times I remember where the point of view is so important. In my family, my grandmother was like a giant. Could you give an example of how she was? I guess for us, we knew that it was so hard for them to immigrate and establish a life. And we knew the stories of how they lived in Seattle. They were quite poor. She was a widow and she did have a job teaching in a Japanese language school, but they were considered to be charity cases. So there was this famous story that we, we knew growing up. It was either Thanksgiving or Christmas and the charities, you know, they were distributing turkeys to the poor. And so they left this frozen turkey on the doorstep. And my grandmother was proud and they never ate the turkey. They never brought it inside. You know, she wasn't about to accept it. Sometimes I've told that story and people will say, well, wouldn't it be better to not be hungry and you know, whatever? And it wasn't easy. I mean, we were dirt poor when we were young, but it got better. And it's because of her. I think from that, I learned about a dignity and pride. And she took the hard road, but it was better for your own independence and being able to determine your life. At the wing, that's an important theme throughout a lot of the stories and communities and individuals. Because it's so unusual for our communities to have exhibits where we tell the story, or it's so unusual for people like, say, my grandmother to be interviewed, to tell her own story. The point of view is it can make a difference in people's lives. Coming sort of full circle to end up at the Wing Luke Museum, where we own our narrative, we own our stories. We could tell a story and it doesn't have to come out like oh, there was this little immigrant lady, you know? And so yeah, at the wing, that's an important theme throughout a lot of the stories and communities and individuals.
I remember one time I saw this mother and daughter. The daughter was grown. And the mother and the daughter came into the exhibit gallery. And then the mother said to her daughter, okay, sit down. And they sat down on the floor in the middle of the room. And she said, this is my story. And you don't know because I've never told it to you. And now I'm going to tell you. And that happened just so many times. And it's uh, very powerful. And it's become the thing that keeps the wing alive and powerful because people want their their legacy. They want their kids and their grandkids to know. And it's so unusual to have it be museum worthy. So it's on the walls in the museum. And so I just consider it's all part of community empowerment and it's not everything. There are other sectors of our community, people who are educators or who are work in policy or community development, but we all connect together and we hopefully will provide the strength for the community stories and the futures of our generations. The wing is really grounded within the community. And if you could talk a little bit about how the exhibits get put together, what kind of stuff does get hashed out in these discussions about exhibits? Rather than having the strong curator, where it's the curator's voice, which underlies the exhibits. Over the years, the whole approach to developing exhibits, it's a voice of whoever is assembled for that committee. And I admire very much that whole approach. It's quite a skill to unleash the voices of the people in the room as opposed to, you know, yourself. I remember one exhibit early on. It was uh, military veterans. It was probably the time of the Gulf Wars, but for a lot of veterans, they had been in the wars against Asian countries. They were Asian Americans in the American military where the enemy was looking like them. I remember like us from the staff and he said, oh yeah, we're going to have this exhibit on veterans and we're going to talk about peace and, you know, it's going to peace now and, you know, anti-war and all this stuff because of our own backgrounds, right? And so you pull the committee together and there were military veterans from a number of different wars. They were very polite, you know, listen to our talking about, you know, peace now and all this. And they said, well, that's not what we want to do. The process of developing an exhibit at the wing, you talk about who is the audience. At that time, there was really heavy recruiting by the military at high schools and campuses. And they were particularly targeting students of color. That was their focal audience. They said, we want them to know why we chose to enter the military and then A lot of them had been in combat. And so they wanted to talk about what that experience was like. 
in the end, there was a exhibit and also a book and it was so poignant and eloquent and it was so powerful of an expression of the desire for peace. I have been at the wing long enough to see that happen many times. Another exhibit that was like that was the Khmer American or Cambodian American exhibit. And you, you have to try to raise money to fund the exhibit. And so we would write about how this was going to be a look at the killing fields experience. Then the committee came in. We tried for all of our work to be multi-generational. They looked at probably some kind of descriptions of what we're going to talk about, a relook at the killing fields experience. And then they said, oh, that's not what we want to talk about. We don't want our community's story to be defined by the killing fields experience. And so it was so interesting the way that exhibit turned out. And of course, the Killing Fields experience was included in the exhibit, but it was the way the community wanted it to be portrayed is not the focal point is, you know, come on in and see how many people got killed during the Killing Fields. But it was more that the Cambodian American story has ancient origins. And they called the exhibit Naga Shed Its Skin. And the Naga is the serpent. And it's, so it's the origin story of the whole people. So there was this serpent that was going through the whole gallery, in and out of the walls and everything. And there was a part where it did go through the killing fields experience, but it was just so much richer and um, more meaningful because of the approach. And I would have to say that that usually happens with every exhibit. You know, you can only have predetermined just so much and then surprising things happen. And the staff is, there's some certain values that the Wingluck staff has. And one of them is that we willingly relinquish control. You could come in with predetermined individual desires of what you want this to be about, but you have to be so good at listening. And I admire the Wingluck staff members over the years and the community members too. I think it's important when you are in a neighborhood that people have to know that you're there to stay. So I think with the wing that that has been a clear message the wing has been in the same neighborhood for like 53 or more years. The challenge has been if we can be financially viable. And that's the challenge of, of all the businesses, the small businesses and even the residential, you know, the people. Are you able to take your permanent place in America? And the wing has partnerships with, I think at the last count, it was like 70 different small businesses in the district. And really, I have to say, mm -hmm. that is unusual for museums because museums are usually fairly internally focused. Usually for a museum, they're temporary. 
maybe it's uh, it, it, it's a connection that you have for the, the purpose of a single exhibit. Our approach to cuisine and the culinary businesses is that it's all part of the cultural voice. You know, the, the food-oriented businesses and things like that, it, it reminded me of the, the walking tours um, and that, that honoring of the living community struggling alongside everyone else in the neighborhood and how powerful that is, that it's an affiliation, but it's also a solidarity. Social justice comes from deep roots at the top. What has formed your perspective in social justice, and then maybe speaking to the museum and social justice? I'm a boomer. I participated in the times. I actually, my first love, you know, was I played the cello. After babysitting, it was my first job was teaching cello. And then I majored in cello performance when I went to college. But it, there was so much going on on college campuses at that time. It was going from the Vietnam War to the war in Cambodia. There was a lot of activism on the campuses. And so I dropped my whole cello orientation. And I really have never gone back to it. And coming to the wing has been the closest I've come to the arts since my cello background. Where there's a thread is that... So cello and music is, it uses a different part of your brain. I feel that the role of culture, the power of the cultural artists and activists is that it can help humanity to activate the whole self. It can help us approach health as it's not just from the neck down what's going on with your brain and what parts of your brain you're using and unleashing emotion is so important in trying to advance something in society, especially something that is a departure from the, the past history. There are so many intractable social problems. How can we solve them if we don't use all of what humanity has to offer we have to get over our uncomfortableness or our fear of having emotion be part of the solution. Beth Takekawa's last day of working at the wing is today. As Takekawa takes off on her next adventures, the current deputy executive director, Cassie Chin, will act as interim executive director, continuing the legacy of community-centered story sharing. You can go to the online local media outlet at southseattleemerald.com for a written piece on Takakawa. For this and more KBCS stories or to make a donation to keep up our local productions, you can visit kbcs.fm. You can also subscribe to our podcast wherever you pick them up. I'm Yuko Kodama for KBCS.